What does it take to create something that never existed before? What does it take to challenge the status quo? What does it take to change the world? This is the Swell Podcast. We're passionate about the seed of an idea and how it swells into a movement. Take a journey with us as we seek the answers to those three questions through the stories of thought leaders, world builders, game changers, disruptors, and other pleasantly rebellious humans who've ventured out into the unknown on a personal journey to do something novel, innovative, creative, or disruptive. In today's episode, we chat with Greg McEwen, New York Times bestselling author of Essentialism with a new book out called Effortless and probably most impressive, brother to the co-host, Spencer McEwen. We kick things off with Greg and Spencer sharing some family memories. Then Greg dives pretty deep and conducts an essentialist intervention on Josh. And we conclude with a surprise appearance from Arian Lewis, the CEO of Kiln, our podcast partner. Arian reins us in and asks some pretty targeted questions on how essentialism can be practically used and applied to startups, businesses, and entrepreneurs. Be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast, sign up to our newsletter at theswellpod.com, and get in on the conversation through all of the major socials at The Swell Pod. Our first season is made in partnership with Kiln. Kiln provides flex office space solutions for teams and individuals. Their all-inclusive set of amenities helps startups, creatives, and entrepreneurs alike get work done. Learn more about Kiln at kiln.co. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoy. Should we start? Yeah, yeah. Is that recording? It is. Right. Yeah. Oh, we're already on. Yeah, it's recording. Don't, don't sign this paperwork. <laughs> it's live. It's going. Well, so do you, do you have do you have uh, like disclosure forms and things like that that your guests sign when we do they do now yeah. because it's through a production company and so they if they're doing film, they always do this. So that's normal for that industry. But uh, but normally podcasting is like this wild, wild west still. Yeah, it is. But they think, you know, pretty quickly it's going to be a similar thing. You just need to do it for risk mitigation. Yeah. I'm not signing anything. Well, we don't yeah. need to do that. <laughs> I, I got him to sign something when he was playing marbles with me. <laughs> like in 1984. What was this agreement? He said he'd do anything. <laughs> what, if you it, won? Forever. He just swindled. No. Yeah, okay. Actually, he lost, but... But it, it was my life in the game. It was yeah. an intense game of marbles. Okay, okay. I mean, marbles is not a big deal to you. I can tell you're, 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 you're like glossing over at this moment. You're like, marbles, okay, whatever. <laughs> but it was I like, w- it was pretty high stakes. It was. It, for, for a year or two. What was your the, favorite, favorite marble, Greg? Oh, it was, it was, a, it was a large or bearing I can't really remember what they called them. What did you they call them? Used to throw at me. <laughs> you used to throw at me. The heaviest one. <laughs> it was huge. And uh, it was like the biggest marble anyone at the school had and everything. I mean, a, this is a big deal. Yeah. I, I may have glossed over a little bit on marbles, but I, I didn't gloss over on the stakes part of it. Like that, that seems very interesting. But it sounds like you guys are playing a different version of marbles where you're throwing <laughs> them at each other. No, there's no throwing them at each okay. other, but we did play. Yeah. We did play and in, uh, in, in for a keeps. Lot. I seem yeah. to remember, I think you're, you're almost, you're just dancing around the story, in fact, of when we had some sort of agreement that if you, you won three times, you remember, you were going to win the large, it was like a, was what, what, what were they even called? Like a king, what's it called? Were they kingers, queens and kingers? I can't remember. And, and, and I, think, I, think I, I think I might have, I think maybe you, I lost a couple of times. And if I'd lost a third time, then I would have, 
and I think I I think I stopped the game early. Something, oh dear. Something along those lines. Oh, I've forgotten about that. And so you owe me. No, if you'd won a third time, I'd have owed you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay, this podcast is now turning into. I think what we have to do is get some marbles and have this third game. <laughs> And turn it into okay. Yeah. Let's put some yeah. stakes down. Well, I think I would win out. that. I think yeah. I would win it. Well, just to provide context, so I I know Greg because we used to share a bedroom together. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's a really and, uh, great way of putting that. And, and we're brothers. <laughs> we're we're brothers. We're brothers too. You could lead with that. Um, but welcome to the Swell Podcast. <laughs> it's great to be with you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I don't know where we begin. I mean, we started with marbles. Um, it was uh, it was an interesting conversation we had before the podcast mm. about where do what do we want to talk about? What Be- did you talk about? Well, we talked about you know the things that maybe Spencer doesn't want to talk about, but <laughs> you know because you guys are brothers, right? It's like well, what like what do you what is interesting to both of you? Because you guys spend so you guys have talked to each other all the time. And what did he say he didn't want to talk about? Well, <laughs> I I don't know well, if we no, really no, necessarily got there, no, but no. it was like it was like what we do know is you know we we. We both agree with the principles of essentialism, for example, right? And and you know, I think he's 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 followed you along that journey. And like, I think you know, when we think about essentialism, maybe we want to challenge some of it a little bit more, or maybe we want to hear something that you wouldn't hear on a normal podcast because of the fact that you guys are brothers. You I know? think we've already we've already started in that direction. Yeah. Haven't we? <laughs> I mean, marbles. Uh, sharing a room together. We are on a good. We are on a good path right now. I do. I do and like. Then, that. And then later on, maybe we'll talk about the. You know, I, you were asking about creativity. Where does creativity come from yeah. in the McEwen household? And I was. I, it's not that yeah. I wouldn't yeah. want to talk about it. It's the fact that yeah, is that what we want to talk about today? Yeah. But absolutely. Like the things that you know. What? Where did? You know, where did it come from? But well, let's start. Well. Let's start there then, because I think that's a good spot, right? Because so I've known Spencer for six or seven years, you know, and then I, I, I slowly learned about you, your whole family, right? I, I learned about you before I knew about the book. I learned about, uh, all, all of your other brothers and sisters and the, the fact that you were a twin, but everything I like, I first knew of Spencer's mentality. And I always looked at Spencer as this person who I felt like I, 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 I look at him like somebody who can probably make something impossible possible. Mm. Right. And that's why I've worked with him for six, seven years. But I, and then Thank I, you. yeah, yeah for sure. But I, so, but I, but then All I, right, I, hold on, we've got to start on there then. Because I've always thought that Spencer had like this creative genius about him and, and always used to say that. Do you remember I used to say that to you? I've you, got a really bad memory. <laughs> <laughs> He's a creative genius, but not great on the memory side. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but he used to, he always used to have some physical creative project going on. It was always like, I mean, a, a few that come to mind. I mean, I remember him like designing and sewing uh, velvet Levi jeans, I suppose, right? Did I tell you about that? Uh, not the velvet. And, every, oh, and yeah. everybody loved them. Everybody wanted to buy them from you, didn't they? Is this not true? Well, they, they, were, they, were, they were kind of they were black velvet, Levi velvet yeah. uh, okay. design. But they were also kind of a... Because I'd take the Levi <laughs> Levi badge off a real pair and stick them on, so they would look okay. like black velvet. They, they were very handy because actually, I'm just going to come across wrong, but the girls used to love them. They'd be like, <laughs> oh, wait a minute, <laughs> okay. They, they used to like to kind of just feel feel them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that That's was their cool. excuse. And uh, but but there were other things too. Do you remember you used to do the uh, the, the, the were oh, what were they Jazzy like? B badges? Yeah, the badges. 
Exactly. Is he from De La Soul? Is he from De La Soul? Not sure. I think that sounds familiar anyway. That feels like my my uh, my childhood rushing back as you use those <laughs> the, the, those descriptions. Uh, there was always something. He had he had a. Um, they were Jazzy B badges. Yeah. So I'd take fifty of them. I'd make them out of Fimo, bright colored Fimo that goes hard, and and then I would I would sell them to uh, little boutiques in in the Leeds uh, in Leeds England uh, fashion kind of boutiques. In the little in the little stores there, and and it went on and on like this. There was just always some project going on, and 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 I feel like uh, I feel like it's uh, the, the more the more freedom and support that is given to that impulse. Like I mean, even now, right now in in Spencer's life, the better that's going to be. Yeah, the world's going to be better for having for creating it support around that or, or vice versa you know breaking out and creating something because there's a lot of natural impulse in that yeah that maybe doesn't fit especially well uh now thinking about my own children right uh doesn't fit especially well in a um traditional school system mm. right like i mean we we uh, our children now are homeschooled and so without any particularly conscious effort on our part just not by snuffing it out their natural creativity and impulses get to come forward. And, and so I think between traditional school and then hierarchical systems, that natural creativity that I've always seen in Spencer it, it isn't going to be necessarily super embraced. That isn't what they're built well to produce often. So, but, but the, the, you know, it's survived, it's grown, it's, it's, it's built, and, uh, and, and I've, always, I've always seen that. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. I think yeah. part of that is, 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 is the free, and I think everyone can feel it, which is the freedom to create anything you wish to. So even in the school system, I mean, they do probably encourage students to, to do both divergent and convergent thinking, but, you know, probably more on the divergent thinking, but, but, oh, sorry, the convergent thinking. Yeah. But, but ultimately, um, even at, even inside a system, you still have to kind of stay within the guardrails and whatever else. But in life, any day, you can create anything, do anything you wish, anything. You know, that's kind of pretty exciting. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting hearing you say that because that, I mean, I'm trying to think about our own family and, and, and family of origin and, and, and what worked and what didn't. And, and I do think that all things being equal, there was a lot of the basic assumption that you could do big things, that you could do different things, that just because it had been done this way, just because other people were doing it that way didn't mean you had to do it that way. I mean, uh, you know, everything from, and th this is a story that I familiar with, I experienced it many times, but I never thought of it as being different until, uh, until one of my friends, Sam Bridgestock, pointed it out to me. And it was this, is that after any concert we, we would go to, my mother would bring us to see I don't remember seeing cats in Blackpool, um, and uh, and and that's fine. That's good exposure. But then afterwards, she would say, "Well, do you want to go and meet them? Just go and meet them. Go, you know, go to the door and get them to sign it." And I don't know really how much of that was sort of living vicariously through me. That maybe she wanted to do it herself, but felt a little hesitant to do it. But she had no hesitation with pushing me forward, <laughs> and and that is multiplied. I, I could give you seriously a hundred examples like that where, I mean, there's another story, I don't remember it, but I've heard it many times of when out on Blackpool, Blackpool's a little like, uh, like Vegas, but tiny <laughs> and, and on the beach, but it's sort of a, you know, is it the seaside, 
you know, town uh, with all sorts of rides. And, and, and we used to go there because we had family uh, that lived there. So we would go there. So lots of memories, good memories there. But out there, they had these piers that go out into the sea. And, uh, and there was some competition there. I don't even know what it was. I don't know. I can't even imagine signing up my own children to do such a thing now, but it was very normal for us that we were signed up to be in this, uh, and we all sang together, uh, and, and, I, and I sang too, and we won the competition. That's, I, I haven't thought about that in years <laughs> and years. But all, I, literally, those we just talked to a couple now, I could list 98 more of just things that I don't think of as anything, but every so often someone else will hear me talk about it and go, well, I mean, that's not how... That's not how it was in my home. Right. You know, we, we weren't being pushed forward. We weren't being encouraged in that sense. Uh, and so I do think some of that did just rub off us as like assumptions. Just, well, planted just, as a seed, yeah, right? Yeah, good. I mean, I think having a, I was talking about this before, having a sewing, uh, you're going to have to get us back on track in a minute. Well, Josh. I was going, I'm um, just well, going to let you go for a minute. To, okay, but fine. yeah, I think you, wait, so I'll just say, because that, that is, I think what's really interesting to me is it seems like everyone in your family is going off and doing big things, doing different things. And, and, and it's really interesting. Like even, even, even your sister, you know, for an event that we had came in, did, did, you know, it was doing art and, and it was, I mean, it was pretty impressive. Like, I, I don't know. I'm just, I, I'm impressed at, at, how how you guys are all going out and pushing into the world and doing some really amazing things, all of you. And there there is something about, I guess, you know, maybe it's the story that you shared. It's it's being, uh, you know, pushed out into into these situations where you, maybe you don't have a choice. You have to be creative, or, or, or just the assumption that things don't have to be the way they were. Yeah. I mean, there's one story that we that we have, and we have the letter. So it's not like just just family law is of, of um, my, my mother writing and asking the doctor if, uh, if our dad could be there for the birth. Uh, and we have the letter from the doctor responding, saying, effectively, this is a pretty shocking thing to ask. I would certainly not want to be there for the birth of my child, and, and, I, and, and I've never heard anyone ask for this. And it, like, this is how it continues. But then at the end, but I, but, but I am allowing it if that's really what you want to do. Mm. When you read that story, you think, yeah, someone, and it's my mother, our mother, who, who had to say, well, just because that's how it's been done doesn't mean that's how it should be. Yeah. And so I think even beyond, oh, was creativity specifically encouraged? I think the, the, in the air was the idea you don't have to be like everybody else. Mm -hmm. Actually, you're not going to be. Uh, and, and so I think even in that slightly awkward um, position, you have some freedom too, uh, some, some, some liberty. I, I know that when I've talked, well, I remember when I got married in England, uh, which, you know, first time back for a year at that time, and I remember someone there saying at my wedding that was officiating, they said, they say, oh, you know, Greg, yeah, I mean, he just never does it the way that everybody does it, right? And that was news to me. Mm. I didn't know that that's what he thought. I didn't know that anybody thought that. Uh, and, uh, and so you sometimes, you know, you sometimes aren't you like fish who discover water last. You only discover, uh, you only discover certain things about your own life late in the game. Yeah. Because it was always everywhere around you. Yeah. I, I like that. Well... It's interesting, I guess, because that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, I know 
if I just bring it even back to you, it's like, I, I, I mean, I've experienced in the many years that we've been working together, a lot of times, you know, Spencer might even experience pushback because of those things. It's like, I mean, it's really, it's really a matter of like, well, does it really have to be this way? And I think a lot of people get really stuck in that. Well, this is the way it is, but I I've always experienced. Yeah. It's just the complete opposite. It's like he, for some reason, there's just something in there that, that in, in, there is that thought of like, well, are, is this really actually important? Is this really actually what we should be doing? Is this really a priority or is this even, is this really the way that it should be done? You know, is it the right way? I don't know. It's, it's interesting, but yeah. Uh, it's a really good thing to just reflect though on yeah. any family. I hope that's any, okay that we spend some time reflecting on this you, stuff. You know, our listeners are, Every, every family is unique and different. And I actually have respect for those that do want to do things the same. It's okay if they, yeah. I don't know, you know, I don't, I don't relate to that as much, right? <laughs> if, they, if, if someone lives in the same house, the same street, does the same things, I mean, that's impressive. But, but each one of us have different drive and driving to do things that are be different if they're better. I don't know, when, when I, I know when I feel like something's important enough, you know, I, I certainly, make it happen and, and i think our mother is all of our family members but our mother is actually pretty important in that in writing whether it's writing scripts for plays mm. and, you know you're a writer josh uh from nothing right there's a bit of a theme in this podcast around creating stuff from nothing creating costumes um from nothing hundreds of costumes over, over many years and from her own father who, who uh, who's a, a clown and ventriloquist and all sorts of other amazing things. But the fact is that's creating something from nothing and giving permission. Um, and it was actually, our, our family was quite uh, very much you know, strict in many ways. It wasn't like do anything, <laughs> uh, but, it, but it meant you had enough freedom in these areas where you would be able to do just anything you wanted uh, creativity wise. And it doesn't always have to be big stuff, I want to say. You know, no. when you, you know, it just, I was thinking, uh, this has nothing to do with, you know, the theme, but hear people talking about, you know, oh, I'm proud of my family because they've done big things. I'm like, oh my goodness, so you mustn't be, if, if they haven't, <laughs> you're not going to be proud. <laughs> you know, way, the way your family think, the way that they uh, do things, that, that's more important, you know, the way, not, not what they've achieved really. So yeah. when you say big things, but we, we're just doing different things, just challenging and, and doing things that following our passions. I think that's what's Actually, important. I think it's a bit of a curse. I like what you're pointing out about like the, the benefits of being stable, of being consistent. I mean, the, the world certainly needs lots of people who want to want to keep things in, in, in a stable way so that they're predictable so that you can make progress. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't work if everybody is simply constantly challenging how yeah. things are the balance needed it right? is and and i think there's a there's a it may be a sweet burden but it's still a burden to live your whole life constantly aware of what things could be done differently and better and mm. why are we doing it that way and is are, are you sure that's the way it should be done i mean that that isn't actually always fun uh but but it certainly certainly i, I remember having um i remember having somebody came over we had this little uh, um shed outside in, in, in a house that we lived in and he walked into it and this thing was wrecked it was awful it, if, I mean I basically like you got to tear this thing down it's just terrible but he walked in and within like 30 seconds he just explained, explained exactly what we should do with it how we should do it oh just pull this down take this put a bar there but and he just had this whole 
vision of it. And I thought it was amazing watching him do it. And then I definitely had him do it after that. And he transformed the whole thing. I watched him see the vision of it and, and do it. And I felt like, I mean, I, I don't have that, generally speaking, in that physical transformation of space. But watching him do that, I was like, I feel that mm. sensation just in other areas. And I think the creative impulse is, is a blessing, but it comes with a, it comes with a burden too, uh, to not just be satisfied or not to never be content <laughs> with anything yeah. because it can always be done differently, always improve. Why would you do it like that if you could do it like that? I mean, it's not necessarily the funnest thing to, 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 to spend time with somebody that is constantly thinking how it could be done differently. They just want some, you know, let's keep things going. It sounds like you're, that's a lesson you're learning right now to find a way of still enjoying the now, like not being able to constantly be thinking about the future, but actually enjoy the journey. Yeah, well, it's something that I, I, could, I could sort of teach about or preach about, but I still actually struggle with. You know, I'm, I feel really, I still feel highly impatient. Uh, in fact, even as you, you're talking and describing well, what, what our sister's done and what, and I just think in, in my head, what I feel is there's so much more to be done. Mm. You know, there's so much more that I think probably, hopefully, possibly will happen. But my sense is like, oh, this is just the beginning. There's like really important work to be done. We've got to get on with it. We've got to get there. Uh, and, and so, yes, to your point, Spencer, I think, I think a part of me is needing to learn still, how do you, how do you make, you know, impatience, your servant, not your master? It, yeah, I know you've got a question, Josh, and you're really, I think you should interview coaches and continue to do that. At That's some fun. point, yeah. I'll, I'll uh, and we want to know about, you know, give, to give our listeners an idea of what essentialism is for those that don't know. Uh, briefly, um, but do you think that's why you found essentialism? Well, and I also want to add on to that question yeah. because I think what's interesting about, you know, well, you know, if you see the things that should be changing in the world, what made essentialism also that thing that was like, okay, I, I, if I see so many things that I should change or that could be changed, yet this is the one, right? This is the one that bubbled up into this ma like yeah. massive thing. What's the backstory? Why this? Yeah. Is this my water? Yes. Oh, thank you. All right, the, the, story, the story behind, okay, essentialism, right, get into essentialism. Essentialism is a, a mindset that says we should do three things. We should create space to explore what is essential. We should use that clarity to discern what is not essential so that we can start to eliminate it from our life. And then... We need to create systems that make it easier to actually execute what matters most. So essentialism is exploring what matters, eliminating what doesn't, and executing on the things that really are essential. Uh, the story behind that, where, how do I get there? I mean, there's lots of stories, lots of narratives, but one that in hindsight was important was I got an email from, uh, from a colleague at the time, said Friday between one and two, would be a very bad time for your wife to have a baby because uh, I need you to be at this client meeting. And I'm sure they were joking and it's just a you know, throwaway comment. But as it turns out, I'm in the hospital with my wife, Anna, with our daughter. She's just been born just hours before. It's Friday morning. And instead of feeling really focused in the moment 
of, well, this is clearly the most important thing that's going to happen today. I'm feeling torn. I've got my laptop out. I'm, I'm distracted. I'm trying to, how do you keep everybody happy? How do you juggle all the different demands? And so to my shame, I go to the meeting. Uh, and afterwards, even afterwards, I remember my colleague saying, look, the client will respect you for the choice you just made to be here. And I, I didn't see that respect in their faces. Uh, but even if they had, it is clear in hindsight that I made a fool's bargain, that I violated something more important for something less important. And what I learned from that lesson was simple and important, which is if you don't prioritize your life, someone else will. And so that was one key moment that catalyzed uh, an interest in this subject. I didn't have the language of essentialism. I, mean, I created that language to try and capture the solution to the problem I experienced on that day. I didn't have the language of being an essentialist or a non-essentialist. All of that grew in order to be able to explain what had happened and what I think lots of people end up doing, which is violating things that are essential for things that are not essential. It, yeah. If I'm interested to know if it if that same bargain happened in maybe you know some less major impactful life event, do you think it would have latched on to you as, as much as it did to the point where you would have explored it the way that you did? Or did it require that the massive bargain that, that, that you made, right? Like that, the birth of a, the birth of a child, right? Uh, yes, I, I think that, I think that our biggest mistakes are our biggest opportunities mm. for learning and they tend to keep our attention for longer. And so, you know, in some ways, that fool's bargain I made has turned out to be, in one sense, quite a good bargain. For sure. Because, yeah. because, that, because there was learning. Right. And, it, and, and, and actually, I'm frank to say, it didn't happen like the day after. It wasn't like I was like, okay, that's it, I'm a changed man. Yeah. It was really in hindsight. And even in fact, as I recall the real story, it was later when I was telling someone about the story and I saw their physical reaction that I was like, this is crazy. You know, how did I, how do you get to a point where you violate little bit at a little bit to the point that you don't really feel in control of the prioritization of your life? Mm. I mean, that's, that's what the underlying story is. It's not just someone who just doesn't value the right things. It's that, well, I did value certain things. Exactly. And I, in fact, I did value my family, but somehow over a little course, over a journey, small violation here, small violation there, at the, at the margin making, oh, it's just easier to just say yes to this. It's easier to, to not deal with the conflict, to not have the conversation, to not push back. You find yourself off course in a key moment. Yeah. Are you, are, just clarify. So, why were you telling the story to the person? Because um, you hadn't learned the lesson, right? They they helped you learn the lesson by their reaction. Were you just telling them because it was? No, I was yeah. telling them. I was telling them because. I was telling them because I had by that point become aware, of having, shifted of having given up a certain degree of control. 
And I think I was sharing the story in the sense of like, you know, can you believe that believe I let I this happen? Can right. you believe that this is what happened? And then being sort of shocked by it helped to identify it for me as like, yeah, you, you know, that, that wasn't just, you know, that wasn't just off or wrong. That's like, you know, that's like a way off moment. And it's, and it's a, it's a wake up call moment. But I, I think it, it did help having them react. So I'm definitely interested. I want to jump into this, but not yet. But I want, I want to talk about the moment in time, you know, which you talk about in the book a little bit, the moment in time of choice for humans, right? But I also, before we get into that, I do want to ask about, I'm very, I'm very passionate about storytelling and a lot of people want to learn how to tell a story. A lot of people, you know, are interested in that, right? And and what I find, what I find is that, you know, you, you can't, it's really difficult to tell a personal story unless you've actually processed the failures that, that you've gone through, right? Because they're an absolutely crucial and critical part of, of that story. And it's, and it's interesting to hear you talk about, like, there was a moment of, a moment of acceptance of the reality of, 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 of that, of that moment, you know, and yes, it wasn't right, but also it had to be validated by the other person through that story. But yet you had to get to a point where you felt okay enough to tell that story where you had processed that moment enough, because a lot of times, yeah, it's like, yeah, I want to tell a story, but I don't want to talk about the things that I've done wrong. I don't want to talk like, you know, actually now that we're drilling in on this sort of second part of the story of the learning, maybe really in some ways when the learning happened, that was the moment I wanted to tell the story. Mm. When I saw that, that that person had a physical reaction to it, I thought, yeah, we're touching on something that matters. They, like they get it. Yes, they're getting it for me, but they're still living through my story and they're feeling sort of the shock of that moment. And, and as, as someone who wants to teach, wants to bring something useful forward, what, what I am constantly scanning for is what's relevant to somebody else, not just what I'm interested in. I'm interested in hundreds of things that don't have the power of relevancy for other people. So that was a key moment, both for my own learning, but also at this sort of meta level, mm. someone else got this moment. And, and so I, that was certainly the point at which I knew this story is gonna make it into, into anything I write yeah. uh, next, because because I could tell the light went on. Yeah, well, and I think that's, that's what's so interesting about, I think, what happened, you know, with, with your story. You know, it resonated with so many people, right? It became, it became a movement, essentialism, right? And, uh, I mean, yeah, it must have been wild. And I think, you know, when I hear about it, like, I immediately hear about, like, think about stories that have happened in my life where the same thing happened. And I can imagine that happens with, you know, a lot of people, like everybody that reads the book, you know, they're, it's so relatable, this idea that I gave away, I, I, I gave up something important for something else that wasn't important. And I realized that. And, and I, I'm definitely interested in, like, this message, which, you know, I would say, like, the idea of prioritizing your life and, and really focusing on what's most important to you is, I mean, that message has probably been around for a while, but yet your, the way you put it together, the words that you use, the way you told your story, um, the relatability to it, but also the moment in time, I think, is a very interesting dynamic as to what happened with your idea, with essentialism, right? Like the moment in time of, 
you mentioned it in the book about, you know, when you look back, I can't remember how many years into the future, right? You look back from that point in time, what's going to be the biggest advancement? It's not the internet. It's not uh, whatever. I can't remember the other examples that yeah. you use, but it's, yeah, it's not, it's not the internet. Uh, it's not e-commerce. It's going to be a fundamental change in the human condition that all of a sudden, and now I understand what you mean by moment in time. Um, but all of a sudden, people everywhere have this exponential increase in choices, right. and we're totally unprepared for it. Uh, I wish I had written that. That's uh, Peter Drucker. But it's a beautiful insight that he's having, which is that really, in a sense, one can say uh, the news is the Internet still because it's still so empowering. It's still so massively expansive in terms of all the options we have, all the different things we can learn. Uh, all, all, it's just like endless but with that endlessness comes, uh, comes a burden, which is that we are still making decisions in a pretty similar way as we did before this total transformation in, uh, in societal opportunity. And so the natural consequence of that is that we will be overwhelmed, that we will be uh, you know, just, just inundated in, with decisions that we are unprepared to filter through. And so the natural consequence of having a huge increase of options with a, with a, 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 a limited update in our decision-making selectivity is that, is that we're, we're going to fall into the undisciplined pursuit of more. Mm. We just have way too much to think about, way too much we could be doing, and we just will be in overwhelm all the time. And I still think that's happening for people. People still suffer now with, you know, with stress, with anxiety, with decision fatigue, with exhaustion. I mean, all of this grows out of, a lot of this grows out of the success of these new options. These are all the right problems to have that we're describing. You could call them first world problems if you like, but it doesn't make them less of a problem. You still have to learn how to deal with that much optionality. And, and in order for us to, to, to thrive as humans individually, how to learn how to do that in teams, in families, in the world at large, we're going to have to learn how to select out of a, a million options the thing that is most essential and most right for us to pursue. Yeah. I will. I... What it makes me think of is I, just, I, I, I often think about, especially when I, when, I, when I first read your book, you know, I'm like, yes, I love this. This is a message that I probably needed to hear right now. So much so that I gave your book to my mom, right? And I was like, here, you should read this book. And um, I, apologize, it, I apologize to your mother yeah. right now. <laughs> it was her Christmas present. <laughs> double, double apology. But yeah, um, yeah, she could have had something she wanted, but she, she had to have book. my book. Yeah. There we go. But um, like, I agree with it. And I still find myself, I think, in a point in time where I, I struggle with it. Like, I was, I was rereading it or re-listening to well, it. Well, me too, and, by the way. Yeah, well, that's good to hear, and I would love to dive more yeah. into that, right? And I think if I, I, I was trying to figure out what it really was for me, and I think about essentialism, and then I thought about, well, in the moment when I make decisions, as a creative person, a lot of times, you know, I'm very interested in different things at different times. I'm very passionate about things in addition to my family and my work, right? And a lot of times, I guess I look at myself as kind of an experientialist where, you know, I'm very willing to jump into 
whatever comes at me in any moment because I believe in the value of whether I want to do it or not, I believe in the value of the things that I'll learn from that experience right. in, in, a, in a very accepting way. And You have bias for experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For yeah, doing, yeah. for action, for trying something out. Yeah, and I'm trying to, I guess I, 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 it's a question of how I, like, I, like, I, I, so I realize that's a priority for me, right? That experience, but it's a it's a matter of I guess weighing that priority and the, the essentialism that caused me I guess causes me conflict with the idea, right? The idea in and of itself, like it's actually really really difficult. And I, I, I like right now, what is a priority to me? I'm not sure, other than my family, you know. There is a great book you could read. It's called, <laughs> it's called Hashtag Now. Oh yeah, <laughs> by, by by Max. <laughs> oh okay, I'll have to read that book. But yeah, yeah well. I mean, he, he, I'm about to try and explain that book, but I no. be, best not. The uh, the, I mean, first of all, I'm very sensitive to what you're describing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think what you're saying is that you, there are, oh, now I want to do this. See, see, okay, let me ask you this question. Is this an intervention? Yeah, is that all right? Because <laughs> we couldn't I, decide whether we wanted to do an intervention on you. <laughs> you can do an intervention no, I on think me. It's I don't mind if you want to do that. Okay. Interventions, yeah. I'm okay for it. Okay, yeah. what's something that's essential for you, Josh, right now? Essential really important that you're underinvesting in? First thought. I mean... You've already had it. What's I guess my family. Yeah, okay. So why is that so important to you? Well, so I have a three-year-old son, right? And I'm conscious about, you know, me being around enough to hopefully help him develop into, you know, a healthy, happy, functioning, you know, adult <laughs> at some point in his life, right? I'm very yeah, the way you yeah. said that was intriguing because yeah. what you said is is like hopefully I'm around enough that I can actually you know <laughs> you know that he knows who I am uh, that we, we uh, hopefully I'm around and so so in that answer there was a little bit I'm not suggesting that you are not there for him so from what you said what I'm hearing is there is a little bit of a pain for you a pain point right now if you're saying yeah I'm there of course he knows who I am and of course I'm there for him and of course he, I love him but there's something where you think but maybe I need to be there more. Right, yeah, so I would agree with that. But it's interesting, I, I, I'm very specific with my time, meaning, you know, if I have something that I want to explore that's beyond my, what I believe to be actually essential for now, not a year from now or two years from now, but essential for now, like these are the things that are very important right now. Like, it, you know, I, I make sure that my work is done. And I, when I'm done at five, I'm off and I'm with my family. I'm not doing anything else for the rest of the night. And if I do want to explore something, uh, generally, I wake up earlier in the morning. Got it. Why is it that you answered family then? What, what is it that triggers that? For I, you? I think it's I think it's what I think about maybe when I'm with my family. Maybe that's it. Right. So a lot of times maybe my mind isn't necessarily completely on my family. You're physically present, but mentally not as present as you'd like to be. As I'd like to be, yeah. It sounds like maybe, and I'm putting words in your mouth, but perhaps particularly with your three-year-old son. Yeah, yeah, I would say that's probably true. Which I think is very relatable because yeah. when children are so young, you know, you're not operating at the same intellectual level to state the obvious. Yeah. And so what's interesting to them and is endlessly interesting to them is not going to capture your attention very much. But the temptation... I suppose I'm again putting all of this into your, you know, your words. You can correct me, but the temptation is then to hardly be connected, mm. to be there. Yes, physically I'm here, and we're doing dinner, and we're doing this, and I'm doing that, and I'm even going on a walk, and we're going. But really, you're not seeing him. Mm -hmm. You're not actually experiencing him. Yeah. 
and that what you want is not to miss this moment. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I have a very interesting, so, and I think there's a very specific moment in my life that I relate that very specifically back to. It's like, I remember, uh, it was late one night after my son had gone to bed, you know, and I, I'm going around the house, picking up some of his toys and stuff like that, trying to get the house back into somewhat, somewhat shape, totally. right? Cause the, it was the, a mess. The, the nightly pickup. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I look behind our couch. We have this big couch in our living room and right behind it is, is a, is a big window. And on the windowsill behind the couch is he's got his toy cars out. And he's got his toy cars all lined up in a row, you know, and and they're actually separated by the type of car that they are. So, mm. I mean, you have your your animated film Pixar cars and then you've got your your very kind of hyper realistic little tiny miniature cars. Right. And I'm, I thought to myself, I'm like, that's amazing. In this moment, I'm seeing his mind work, mm. but it took this moment after he's already been asleep and he's not around, it wasn't in the moment that he was doing it that then that I was like, you know, I didn't see his mind work in that moment. Does that make sense? It, it does. Like, I mean, I, first, I want to encourage you because because obviously the very fact that you were aware in that moment of pickup that you were present enough to notice it shows that you care. I mean, yeah. you're not describing, I'm not envisioning from your description someone who's completely disconnected. But nevertheless, in that moment, you thought, if I observed my son the way I observe other things in my life, mm. with that level of attention, I might notice things in the moment that right now I am missing. Yeah. And I don't want to. Why don't you want to? So what? So you miss them. So what? So I miss those moments? Yeah. Why does it matter so much? Why do you? those moments matter? Yeah. Well, it's, I guess it's really why do I do anything? You know, I think it's probably those moments that I think I should may matter more than I, I, I let them matter, right? And it's like I'm sacrificing those moments, I guess, for the moments where I may be thinking about, you know, what is this swell podcast going to be about? Or, or what, it, what you know, what you am, can, you don't put that on me, man. Well, that's, <laughs> like, what question am I going to ask Greg? I'm going to think about this for a couple hours. It's not my fault. No. Yeah. And, uh, so, so yeah. but, but that's, that's, you didn't answer the question, though. Why does noticing that moment with your son in the moment, why does it matter? To you well i'm fast so it matters to me because i was i'm fascinated in his curiosity like in the curiosity that he has right i i want to be a part i think of that curiosity and i want to help him continue to be curious like i'm a big believer like i want to encourage that curiosity more and more and more right, right. and this and the, and the attempt to find meaning and, and, and patterns in life i think is interesting but the, the curiosity and and all of these things that he's that, 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 that he's doing on his own, I want to continue to be there to encourage those moments, right? I, like, that's what I, I think. You already have a, a tenacity and interest in, in creative processes, creative thinking, and you want to help him to develop and fulfill that creative impulse within him, and you think you could do it if you were paying attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree with that, yeah. What I sense underneath the surface is... This is like my mission. This is the combination of mutual missions, both as a father and that natural sense of responsibility, but also this natural inclination I have and curiosity about creativity, about that process and bringing it out of people. It's those two worlds colliding. Mm. It's bringing double, a double mission together. And in that moment of seeing those cars lined up behind the couch, you were like, nope, I missed it. And Maybe I'm missing it. 
Mm. So the pain and opportunity is what if what what special thing could I fulfill? What special mission could I complete if I could fully bring my unique skills, professional skills, perhaps natural inclinations together with this role that I see as being ultra important? What, what magic could happen? Yes, he's just three, but if I start paying attention now, what might I be able to help bring forth that might otherwise not just be missed by me, but missed by the world at large afterwards? That's the thing is no, you don't know. I think you, the, the idea is, is almost like what you guys were talking about. If I could be around to maybe push him, you know, or be, just be the foundation where I can say, it's okay not to have all the answers. It's okay. Just keep, be, just keep, just keep being creative. Just keep exploring the world. Just keep, you know, cause I, I want to champion that for you and who knows what's going to happen as a result, you know, but I want you to feel like that exploration opportunity is always available to you, you know, and that nothing really shuts that down. You want to protect it. Yeah. You want to, you, you want to, it, it picks up, we talk about the ugly babies, which seems like an unfortunate phrase now that we're talking about your three-year-old, but, <laughs> but, but he talks about ugly babies and how in the important beginning of creative processes, all of your artwork is ugly. Right. So you have to then develop a culture that protects those ugly ideas so that they can grow into something amazing. And, and you're just giving an illustration of something that, that's personal to you, that's unique to you, that's unique to your son, of if I could learn to protect and pay attention to that, I, I'm, I, I, there's a conviction that magic could happen. Yeah. yeah. So what's one thing that you can do right going forward from this conversation to actually do that? Give me something real, realistic that you can do. I guess, I mean, we could break out some crayons and start drawing a picture. Yeah. yeah. Do you do that now? I do, but I don't, I, I think it's more or less, you know, it's, yeah, I, I mean, it's probably not as much as I think maybe he wants to, mm-hmm. or maybe, maybe we both would want that experience together. I don't know. Um, How much but, one-on-one direct playing time do you have with him every day, every week? Give me an estimate. It's like four Four hours, maybe uh, five hours if he doesn't want to go to sleep at night, you know, a day. A day. That, that, that we're together, yeah. But pers- but but I'm talking about like playtime, intentional playtime as you've described. Yeah. Drawing together, doing together. That's what I'm asking. Definitely not as much. Yeah. Maybe I was like four or five hours. I'm like, okay, why lucky, are we even talking about this? <laughs> if we're lucky, maybe like 30 minutes even, right? And, Is it and, as much as 30 minutes of playtime together? If we're lucky. Okay. Yeah. So what would the goal be? How would you know I am killing it in this? Not even killing it, just I wouldn't say I was underinvesting anymore. It would be what? I guess it would be I think it would be the best I think the best example I could probably give is that, you know, you something that's measurable is that, you know, all electronics are off, right? Okay. So all if all electronics are off, but at the same time it's like there is then probably visible artifacts that come out of yeah, this, that's, right? That's what got me thinking. The artwork, the yeah. the, 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 the cars reminder. lined up in a row. It's, 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 it's technology away. That's the trade-off, the technology being away. And then it's taking out something physical. It's the cars. It's the crayons. It's that I'm actually going to play together. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. I, my, so I know that we need to move on, but, 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 my, but what, what's the right amount? Is it an additional 15 minutes a day of playtime? Hyper-focused, yeah, or at least from my end, right? Yes, from yeah, your exactly. end. Yeah, but yeah. He's always going to be focused on play. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah he's, it's his lifelong work right now. It's the work of a child is to be playing, is mm-hmm. to be trying, and to be, I mean, talk about creativity. There's, there's only that period and the period when somebody's brain's going through the elasticity uh, growth of, of teenagehood. Those are the two most creative times. And so if you want to study creativity, you have it right now in front of you. Right. And the way you'll learn it is by playing with it. I mean, yeah. you'll learn so much about the, about the high growth that comes from purposeful play. There's mm-hmm. a whole chapter in Essentialism specifically on play. And to discover again that it is essential in and of itself. And one of the specific tasks that I give to challenge people to do is to spend a few minutes playing with a child. You know, like that sounds a bit weird, but, but I mean, if it's your own child, it's good. You go, go just spend this time and i think as you do it you my prediction for you is not you will not only just benefit in the primary way that you have a relationship that's that's real and present with your son right now and the satisfaction that comes from that but also that you will gain insight into creativity that you cannot and will not find in any other way right and so that you will get paid back tenfold a hundredfold for that investment yeah that in your professional pursuits, in your other creative pursuits, you're going to learn things there that other people that study creativity are going to miss. Yeah. All right. Will you do it? I'll do it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, that's actually, we got to get <laughs> but, there, right? Yeah. For, well, I think, I mean, it's very actionable. But so what it makes me think of is like, would I have gotten there on my own? Maybe. I mean, in the deepest part of me, yeah, maybe, right? If I spent enough time really thinking about what was what was really important right um but there was nothing that could have facilitated this discussion right and and how do how do more people get that you know how do more people experience that because you're like you're incredibly talented at that right like being able to drill down you shouldn't interrupt a man who's saying paying you a compliment (laughs) okay i'll stop there but you're you can you can drill down right and you even talk about that example in the book of like you know uh, the the group that was in that competition and you ask well what is the problem that you're actually trying to solve what is the problem that you're actually trying to solve and i think the root of this is at that specifically right like how specific and essential can you be not just about what you want to do in life and, and what you, how you want to contribute, but specific and essential about the problem, right? And, 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 and being able to drill down constantly over and over and over again to get to the root of that, but then having the relentlessness to keep asking about it, to yeah. keep building that off of it. Um, it's really Yeah, I mean, these, these little mini essential interventions on the, on the What's Essential podcast that, that I just started a few months ago... Um, we we started doing this and I don't know, somewhere like a third or half of those episodes are now just essential interventions because it just seemed to unlock for people that essentialism isn't just this impossible standard just to, you know, to, too distant from the reality of our life. It's like you start where you are with it. And, and, and so, I mean, I feel like as people are listening to those, they're living it themselves. As people are listening to your story, they'll be seeing their own yeah. life through it. And that it's an accelerated path to becoming an essentialist, just what you've done. So you've done this service for everybody that, that, that you know, tunes into this. Um, I mean, just beyond that, I mean, maybe you were asking me a rhetorical question, but the actual answer is, I mean, I, I literally am building sort of a mini masterclass on essential interventions so that people can have a process they can follow 
to try and apply this in, an, in a more immediate way uh, by going through, even though it sounds like we were just having a conversation, there is method in the madness mm. and a series of questions that are behind it that help to accelerate our way to clear answers, specific things that are deep and essential that we're currently not doing. Uh, and and uh, so that's my attempt, one attempt, one attempt through the podcast, and the second attempt is through this new, uh, this new uh, essentialism academy that I'm building. Yeah, that's good. That is, is good. That intervention over now. It can be over. So, I thought I thought it was great. It though, was yeah. great. And go on. No, there's there's if it all depends how long somebody wants to go with it. I mean, what we covered was what is essential for you and why it matters. And that, number one. We talked a little bit about what's non-essential that we need to get rid of. That was where you said, well, technology, just get rid of the technology. And then we did come up with an, an achievable way to execute it, which was 15 minutes a day. Now, what someone would do if we were going to go further with the intervention is we would say, how do you make the execution effortless? The 15 minutes is part of what makes it somewhat effortless because it's, it's not four hours. Uh, it's not the whole day, it's 15 minutes. But other things that you could do would be, okay, well, you could, call, you could call your wife right now and you could say, listen, I've just had this little intervention, I know it's a bit, but I just really need to spend time with, uh, with, with our son for 15 minutes and, and I'm gonna need you to help me keep accountable to that because I think that if I do this, it will be a real blessing to him and important to him. And, I mean, she won't need any persuading. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but be like, yeah, I could use the, I could use a little break. Thanks. You, you build accountability <laughs> no, partners in. You could, yeah. you could, you could put on your fridge a hundred dollar bill, and for the first day you don't do this, you have to give that hundred dollars to some, I don't know, to something you don't want to invest in, or you could rip it up. I know sometimes people have done that as mm. they, they have it as their test. No one wants to rip up a hundred dollars, right? That's just like unthinkable to them, and so it helps them to be consistent. Okay, so I'm going to do this five days in a row, and if I don't, it's down. Uh, yeah, I like that. I, it reminds me of a couple of things, and, and I, I think the first is an acknowledgement of where my flaws are uh, currently. Um, and I've thought of it multiple times, and sometimes I get this right, but you know, we have our work, our gifts, our strengths at work, and we use them quite well, but do we use them in our own homes? Uh, so I'm incredibly good at imagining the future, creating experiences, things that are different, things that are memorable, but do I do that when I'm just surviving at home, just, mm -hmm. just trying to cope? No, you don't use the best tools, you just survive. Uh, and when you realize that, and I'm thinking of the, uh, the film Inception that we could have talked about for a, quite a while yeah. and the importance of the, the, totem. the totem to remind yourself that you can, you know, that you can do something different, mm. that this isn't actual reality. You know, you're trapped in a, I don't know if you call it the, drama triangle or whatever, but you, you need to get out. You could do anything. Um, and what are those triggers? Yes, it could actually be a physical thing. It could be putting the cars. It could be putting a car in your pocket, right, mm -hmm. Josh? Um, but what can trigger... I like that, the car in the pocket, by the way. You have to put the car in the pocket until you've spent 15 minutes each day. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a car in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway, I mean, just reminding ourselves that we do that. Now, what, you know, we run... You've, made, you've got a commitment today, right? One of your commitments is to, to be with your son and, and you need to go in a few minutes. So I've got a couple of different directions. One, one is, you know, we do want to talk about the movement of essentialism, where it's going in the future, like 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. I, I'd love to look at that. But I do think our, our listeners, um, you know, that, that lots of our listeners will be running companies. Maybe they've just established a company. Um, they're dealing with, 
family is always going to hopefully always going to be the most important thing but actually work applying essentialism to work yeah. to a startup especially this year in a challenging time for sure how on earth do you do that it's not i've always thought when i read the book right it's so too simple mm. where's the field where's the book that explains what to do and i know you're talking about this masterclass and maybe in 20 years you'll have all the tools and the systems that are going to help someone running a business and applying it right um, but I'm just, you know, wondering if we go down that avenue for a few minutes, talking about how do you apply it to actually work challenges? You know, when you've got a thousand things that all need to be done, you can't choose one thing, right? Um, I don't know. So that's that's one option. We, we okay. tend to do this in a podcast. We kind of say we, we could go. Yep. Those, those are two options we can vote for. If the time runs out, then I actually, we have our sponsor, uh, <laughs> Arian Lewis at Kiln, who uh, is the founder of Kiln, and he's behind us actually, uh, and uh, maybe he can, he ask can leave some questions. And, kill, and, and maybe Aaron could join for 10 minutes and ask some questions around how it applies to some of our uh, listeners who are running businesses in very difficult times. Uh, but what would, you, what would you vote for? <laughs> or what do you I, want to I, ask? No, I love that, and I, I would love to hear it go that direction. But I, what's so interesting that I, I didn't really realize, I think, through what we just did, mm. is because you, you used words like mission, right? Mm. And... And I think a mission and purpose and we're talking about the, the thing, mm. you know, the thing. And that is beyond the work. It is beyond the individual choices. And it's, it almost felt like it was more a cascade of the right choices for the mission, for the purpose, for the thing. And I don't know if you necessarily like, how do you, like, is that kind of really what you're getting at is like, it's the thing, <laughs> ultimate thing of everything or is it the thing in the moment yeah uh, i don't yes. know yes the answer is yes yes because to all. Okay. yeah because because what yes first uh one of my deepest convictions is that life is an essential mission and that each of us has an essential and unique mission that only we can fulfill you know, josh you have a mission that spencer can't fulfill that i can't fulfill and if you don't do it there's no one to do it it's it is it, it it's like Frodo in the Ring. I mean, like it's it's your, it's it's yours to do, and there's no one else for it. And in that is a sweet burden. To figure the work of life is figuring out what that is, and then doing it. Mm -hmm. And to it, it's so liberating, but also sort of somehow burdening, to discover this. Because you say, well, at one moment you realize, well, I don't have to do what everyone else is doing. I have no obligation, in fact, to do what everybody else is doing. Right. None whatsoever. I have the obligation to find out my highest contribution, my unique mission in life, and to live that. And, and, and I mean, I can see in you, I can sense in you something is triggered, you know, as you went through that little experience, that it touches something bigger for you. Maybe I'm making that up. Yeah, well, there's still a lot of questions that I would still have. But yes, I, I do think that, you know, and as I, as, as I kind of look at all of the things that I do, can I say that they all build towards this, this thing, this mission, this whatever it is. But what, I, what, what is interesting, I think, just to bridge it back to what Spencer was so we can segue into that part of the conversation. But I definitely think like, you know, as far as like somebody, an entrepreneur, somebody who's starting up a business, right? Like, you know, somebody who just stumbled upon this this topic that's going to build into like this New York Times bestseller essentialism right it's like there is an essential problem there is the this 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 thing this this 
the thing, right, that is your mission right now. And I think that a lot of people feel motivated by, you know, I'm going to go out and solve this problem with this business and we're going to we're going to go and change the world this way. And that that can be the thing at that time. Um, yeah, I mean, I think essentialism applies equally well to personal challenges in the way that we've been discussing yeah. mostly so far, but also the same questions, the same ideas have relevancy for a startup business. Uh, you know, startup is like the ultimate, it's like, it's like the ultimate decision-making challenge because the decisions are coming at you so fast and there's not yet systems in place to handle them, so they all sort of tend to hit you. And what I would argue is that therefore, essentialism is even more relevant for someone as a startup entrepreneur mm -hmm. than, than maybe any other time in life. Because if you don't make choices really carefully and selectively, still, if you don't create some space, there won't be any. And so then you will simply become reactive and reactive. Uh, and, and so essentialism, while I've given sort of a personal story as to how I came to essentialism, the professional side is that I was working with Silicon Valley companies and noticed the predictable pattern that when these startups were young and small and got focused, so they gained clarity, it led to success, which led to options, which unfortunately leads to the undisciplined pursuit of more. Right. And so I noticed there this predictable pattern that if they weren't careful, the very things that led to success would undermine, would be undermined by their success. Yeah. And so essentialism became an, an attempt at solving this problem, helping entrepreneurial ventures, entrepreneurs themselves, to become successful at success. So as they're scaling, they don't just get beaten up by all of the, all of the noise and options and, and, and overextend themselves and so on, so that they become disciplined before they have to be, before they get, before they get burned out and so on. So I actually think that essentialism has a very natural home in the world of, of, of startups and entrepreneurs. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's great. I am gonna step away. Yeah. I appreciate this. You I, go live the intervention. <laughs> yeah. That's what we want. Um, Arian, do you, wanna, do you wanna hop in here? Do you have time though? Yeah. All right, thanks everybody. Thanks, Greg, I appreciate it. I, I look for, I'm gonna look for your report. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll give you, I'll give you a report back for yeah. sure. Um, no, I don't think I have any other questions. I mean, yeah, maybe I'll have some questions at some point, but thanks just for hopping in and yeah. Uh, yeah. While we're making this transition, what is your actual commitment? Uh, I dedicated, I, I really think a dedicated, uh, hour, you know, if I'm, if I'm do, having a good day, that's 30 minutes, like on a, I think an hour I'm, is realistic. I'm going to say, I'm still going to say lower, but just for longer, like 15 minutes a day. But for how many days in a row are you willing to commit? Right, to? right. Okay, 15 minutes a day. For the next 15 days. Okay, I like that. And, and we've yeah. got a great, I don't know if we want to advertise this, the, the app, but there's a great app that we used, isn't there? Yeah, it's there's a, 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 a... About consistency each day. What's app the app? Called Done and yeah. To Do. Yeah, just, I basically start my morning the same way every day. Uh, usually there's an hour of meditation, or not an hour, 20 minutes of meditation. But yeah. But this could go in there, right? Should go in there, yeah, for sure. Thank you, Josh. Thanks, have Josh, a safe trip. Yeah. And and now we have <laughs> uh, great the transition transition well. to uh, Aaron Lewis, and this is uh, Greg McEwen. Greg, nice to meet you. So nice to meet you too. Yeah, we have some friends in common, which we can chat about afterwards. Oh, I'm so curious yeah. now. Um, yeah. Well, the first time we 
Erin is our sponsor, and I'm not sure if we'll include this, but we were in a hot tub once upon a time. Yeah, <laughs> fully clothed. Man, you have, oh, a, way, am, you have a way of beginning I guests. Right. Fully, I fully always, appropriately clothed. I always have a way. Just in case any listeners are imagining Okay, this. let's start again. When yeah. I met Arian, we were talking, and, and I think you mentioned essentialism. Yeah. And that was a, I did. a few years ago before you... I did. You I've read the book. Yeah. I believe in the philosophy. Is that right? Yes, I do. I always feel like I just need to apologize to anybody who's read the book. I'm, I'm like, I you could have been doing something perfectly good. Book. You listened to I it. I think... It was you, wasn't it? It is me, and and, yeah. and, and now I have so to double not, apologize because what generally yeah. happens is that people listen to it on like speed and a half, uh-huh. you know, like 1.5. So then when they meet me, they sound like I, they're like, man, you're speaking so yeah. slow. Like, what's wrong with you? You know, yeah. like, I'm, like, I'm, yes. I'm like as if I'm wound way down. This I, has happened, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it, I think that could be the case. <laughs> Um, but I, I just, just don't sound very intelligent in person. That's what you, you, no, you, you've just said. No, I think you do a good job at that. I think you've nailed the intelligent person, uh, <laughs> the intelligent okay. person category. Okay. I, I failed Look. that one, but, uh, yeah. but Greg got it. There you go. Well, so, so I on. do have a question Absolutely. about what is, so, so you talk about essentialism for entrepreneurs. Can you just distill it down? What is the framework yeah. for an entrepreneur? the essentialism framework for an entrepreneur? So essentialism has three parts. Explore what's essential, eliminate what's not, execute on what matters most, right? It's a cycle, an ongoing cycle. So that's your framework. Yes, but it's a three-part framework. But with entrepreneurs, I think that you need to switch it. So you say explore, execute, eliminate. Yeah. And so that, that little switch is quite important because you don't know anything when you're very, very starting out. Depends sure. what you mean in the entrepreneurial cycle. But, but in the very early yeah. days, you, you've got to get trying, right? You've got to do the yeah. minimal viable you product. You could maybe say fail instead of explore. Yes, I think that's right. I mean, yeah. I mean it's, 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 it's an exploration process, an experimentation process. Yes, certainly experimentation. Yeah. And, and the eliminate is important. So, yes, it's a fail process. But it's also, I mean, where essentialism would differ than just what fails, get rid of what fails... With essentialism, you might get rid of stuff that's actually doing okay sure. or even doing well, but you just say, yeah, but it isn't the thing. Sure. It, it isn't what we are going to go big on. Yeah. And that's quite important because I think a lot of, uh, I think a lot of early ventures, well, actually all organizations, fall into this problem where they have uh, these sort of zombie projects mm-hmm. that just go on and on. They're not terrible. If they were terrible, they would just be cut. But they, someone is going, well, it's a good argument for this, and, and I've put so much into it. And, and so sometimes it's those good things that can keep entrepreneurs back from actually breaking through yeah. and really selecting that. So I think that would be my one distinction between just the fail model. But that, that's the model. Explore for, 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 for entrepreneurs. Explore, execute, eliminate. Good. I, I think that's a really simple model for anybody that's listening to just put in their brain. Yeah. I think you mentioned something earlier, though, that I, I feel like layers really nicely onto that, which is you talked about how important it is to be in touch with what is essential for you. Yeah. And, and I, I kind of describe what you described as dharma, mm-hmm. the concept that you need to align your life with your, in your, in your words, your mission. Yeah. Um, but I think that that exploration part of the framework is, you know, sometimes we think of it as entrepreneurs as I have to explore what business model Mm. is going to be effective in what market I'm targeting. Right. But I think equally important because of the grueling nature of being an Mm. entrepreneur and the stresses it places on your life and your family's life. 
you actually also have to determine, is this essentially what I should be doing? And does my personal mission or the unique gifts and talents that I've been given, does it really align to the business model that you, I'm going to pursue. I love this. The way you said it, it's like uh, you're speaking from personal experience. You're not talking hypothetically when you say that. I am. <laughs> and and the the other thing I notice is is that it's hard enough, even if you have alignment with your dharma. That's right. So if you don't have alignment, you are going to be chewing glass on something that isn't even feeding you. Yeah. It isn't even, so you're always at odds, uh, plus it's going to take all this effort and energy out of you. So can your framework help people to identify that thing? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's about, it's about what questions you're asking. So whether we use the language of, of, of Dharma or of essential mission, underneath those concepts are very similar questions, right? Instead of asking, is this a good business idea, uh, of which there are too many, many to pursue, sure. you ask, is this, you know, can I be the very best in the world at this thing? Yeah. Like, do I have unique competence in this thing? Mm -hmm. Instead of asking, um, do I like this? Am I interested in it? Mm -hmm. and many non-essentialists have the curse of capability. They can do many different things. You're, you're, you're saying... You're saying, you know, is this, would I do this for free? Am I, am, I, am I truly, deeply passionate about this, endlessly interested in it? Mm -hmm. um, you know, in terms of, and it, it, it's aligning those things then with the market questions. Instead of asking, you know, are some people interested in this? It's a question of who is so hungry for this thing, they want it right now. Um, so I, I'm just using sort of a few examples to try and, indicate the different pieces you need mm -hmm. in order to find your sweet spot, mm -hmm. right? In the, in the questions I just used, generally the, the first was to do with, uh, you know, you, you can do it, you, you know, have competency. The second was to do with passion. The third is to do with your market. I do think those three elements make kind of the sweet spot. But I'm also trying to illustrate this one more point, which is that it's not just general alignment between these areas. You're looking for an extreme alignment of each thing. You're looking for something that, that is really distinctive. If we use the metaphor of the closet, you're not looking for stuff that's good and okay because your closet will be packed full of stuff you hardly ever wear, you don't mm -hmm. enjoy wearing. Mm -hmm. You're looking to use Marie Kondo's phrase, does it spark joy? And I think you can use similarly selective questions you know, that would clear out a closet in order to clear out the closet of your entrepreneurial life so that you're asking more and more extreme questions so that you're pinpointing something that you go, yeah, this. You know, that stuff is good, that stuff's, you know, tempting, but this stuff is a definite 90% or above, yes. And if it doesn't get to that standard, you actually start saying no to it. That would be essentialism as applied to- uh, Entrepreneurship. To entrepreneurship. Yeah, or business creation. Oh, or business creation, yeah. Are you, are you thinking of like the method, like is there, I mean, you talked about a masterclass, but I mean, it, the actual methods that people can pick up and actually yeah. apply. I mean, I, I'm thinking, I think in conceptual frameworks. And I think that if you've been trained to adopt concept, conceptual frameworks and you use them through 
your decision making. Yeah, definitely. And if you're making a decision, let's say you work for a large company and you've got a really healthy income and you've you find balance in your life with your kids, but all of a sudden you've decided you need to go out and create this new thing and you're trying to determine, do I leave the safety and security of this net I've created? Do I step out into the unknown? How do I make that decision? Yeah. You're saying, well, one thing you can pick up is this framework. Yeah. This essentialism framework. And I think that one of the things that you touched on is the word passion. It's used a lot. Mm. A lot of people say you have to be passionate about it. And, uh, you know, you ask a college student what passion means or you ask a 60-year-old what passion means in their career and they're going to give you different answers. Mm -hmm. College students going to see, like, vacations with their team and they're going to see, you know, a soda machine right outside my office. And I don't know what they're going to see, but they're going to see something different. When you ask somebody that's maybe been through the ringer a little bit, yep. they're going to say, I believe that for a lot of my life, I haven't really been able to deploy the unique gifts and talents I've been given. Mm. And there's this side of me that feels unrealized. Yeah. Feels like I haven't been able to actually maximize my potential. Yeah, for sure. And I want to actually feel what it's like to really deploy my gifts and talents into something. And um, there's always been something about the structure of the job they've been in or what they've been doing that's held them back from that. And the true joy is not this sort of elation or swag, you know, filled fantasy of entrepreneurship. It's really uh, the hardcore, I'm getting to do what I know I can do best. Yes. Yes, that, you, that, that what the pull is isn't just, isn't just the hustle of, of entrepreneurship. It's doing what I came here to do. Yeah. And I think you're saying the same thing about family life as well. I think so. And, and it's interesting you mentioned family. That just takes me off in a different direction because, um, because my bias around these ideas is that you can teach them to anyone at any age. And so when they're – I mean, the worst, the worst thing I've heard uh, from someone who read Essentialism, and it's, it was meant as a compliment, but it's just like – tragic is that let's they said name they, the person what's that let's name the person right i don't now. know the name i'm of the just person. they uh <laughs> but they said they said um they said i've I, I just i just wish i'd read essentialism 50 years ago sure and yeah. and so building on that like i could plug my there. eldest daughters here and and so we talk about these kinds of selective questions from when they were very young and so i remember well I guess I don't remember because I can't remember exactly the age, but sort of around 11 years old or so, we've been talking all about it, these, these very, these big questions. What did you come here to do? What, what is your unique contribution? You know, what, what would you like to achieve 100 years from now? Mm -hmm. These kinds of big questions, even though, you know, uh, she was young and she slipped a note under our door, uh, you know, late at night after she'd been brainstorming. She's like, I, I have realized I want to be a director. And I've realized that I've, now I realize I've always been doing stuff towards that, even mm -hmm. though I didn't have words for it. And so it was this very, you know, eureka moment. And so now, even, even if you ask Grace today, she would say, I mean, listen to this, this is like good for a 17-year-old. I want to create, um, I want to take the best children's literature and bring it to the screen. Beautiful. In a way that can be reached by, you know, by the masses. That's beautiful. That is so precise. Yeah. 
and 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 the traditional schooling program the traditional business systems don't really either address those kinds of questions either at all or seriously and so what it really is is okay just get grades and get to the next thing and get to college and get a job and and so somewhere along the line somebody gets to 40 50 60 and then they go what am i doing yeah. and why am i not feeling it and it's because they were asking without knowing it I suppose the wrong questions. That's that's true. I, what you're saying is, if you could start that journey, because for me, school was like a game. How do I get through the matrix kind of totally. thing? Totally. Um, but instead of asking yourself, how do I get through the maze or the matrix, you ask yourself, how do I use all of these experiences to help me understand what it is about myself that I could really bring to bear into the world that could be used to lift and bless others. Exactly. Yeah. And, and and I my my what what I hope for what I would hope for now this comes to a different question Spencer that you were mentioning before but what I am, hope for in the future in the big the big picture is that we that we've really deconstructed the current way of the, the current process that we have when we're educating children when we're working with employees that this gets put earlier in the process um in fact the more you think about it when you go down this path for, for, for a while you're like why are we not putting this front and center why why would we not help people to really figure out what their contribution is what they are uniquely built to do what they want mm -hmm. to bring to the world this, well this i mean <laughs> you know education was created our modern education system was created for the industrial economy totally and now we're in a different kind of economy and the reality is that our system hasn't changed that much still looks like a factory that's right and so physically even so literally i think the magic here is that you're giving people a very simple way to start to understand the deeper question of what is it that's essential about who I am, who I'm becoming, how I'm affecting the world around me. And the great thing about that equation is that what it ultimately results in is true happiness, yeah, true joy. Not one where it's not the kind of joy you get from a good vacation or a lovely sandy beach or something like that, but the kind when you know the actions of your life are aligning to who you are and where you can make the most impact. I think that's exactly right. And, and, and it's, it's to do with becoming more and more of who you really are and less and less of who you really aren't. Yeah. And that's why the elimination part of the, the, the process is so vital because, because so often, even in, even when we talk about exploration and, 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 and becoming something uh, you know, better than we are, we, we maybe under understate the need for just for just going. Yeah, that's not my thing. That's I don't want. That's that's not it. You know, to to me, the the next best thing. If you don't know it, if you don't know this is my essential path, my essential mission, it's knowing what it isn't, mm. and having permission not to pursue that, even when you don't know what the thing is. Mm. I mean, my one story behind essentialism is twenty years ago, I was at law school. Uh, in England and might have stayed there, but somebody in America, um, uh, Jerry Barrist Lund That's a barrister for anybody who's listening. <laughs> Love that you know from that. the Nobody other side of that. the world. And, uh, and and I was talking to Jerry Lund here, a local, quite, quite close to here, and he, he just said in passing. I mean, he, he said he said if you do decide to stay in America, then you should help us on this consultation committee thing. And 
and it's actually funny as I'm telling the story, the reason I'm like pausing is because normally I say he would probably not have noticed or remembered that throwaway comment. Mm-hmm. The reason I'm pausing now is because I actually did just reach out to him 20 years after he made it. And so I know he didn't remember. <laughs> mm. And we had a really great conversation. This, this was such a catalytic, catalytic question because it was an assumption. You don't have to do what you've been doing. Mm-hmm. And that was so emotionally liberating. I knew logically you could say no. But I think often people don't feel emotionally like they can say no. So then it's as if they don't have that choice. So it's, it's, it's no good to call, talk about empowerment unless you feel empowered not to do something. Mm-hmm. And so that was sort of the really that was the breakthrough. It was the, 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 the break with the past to be able to say, no, I'm just going to go and teach and write. Hmm. Well, the world's a better place because you're not a barrister. (laughs) (laughs) And I can tell from just talking to you shortly that you would would have missed your calling in life for sure. (laughs) Or or at least been the most sensitive and thoughtful barrister in the... (laughs) In the magistrate's court. It's, it's, it's a polite way of saying I would have been a very bad barrister, well, but I'll take it. Yes. Yes. Is, is there any other thing? Any, <laughs> any, I'm thinking, um, is there any other questions that you'd want to ask for, for, for your customers, your members? Um, or, I like to give choices, you know, is there anything that you, uh, right now, trying to figure out, you know, uh, with the future of growing kiln? I don't know. We can not included. How would your framework apply to somebody building a team? Are you asking hypothetically or are you building a team right now that you're working through? Well, I think, yes, I'm building team. I always, we're we're a young team, but we're got about 20 to 25 people right now. Okay. But, um, you know, if you think about the challenges that an entrepreneur faces, do you feel like your frame, in addition to the business creation element, yeah. is there another point in time in which you think that your framework and essentialism is, can really add value? Uh, yeah. I mean, let's talk about specifically the decision-making around building, building an excellent essential team. Uh, essentialism at the surface level is about... People read it like, oh, it's about time management, be more selective, what you spend your time on and what you don't. That's not how I think about it primarily, but I I get that on the surface it it sort of looks like that and sounds like that. What it really is, is is a decision frame, right, as as we've talked about. So therefore, and this is where I think its it's highest value is, is it can be applied to any type of decision making. So how would essentialism apply to building a team? I mean, there's a few things. One is... What kind of talent would you select? Uh, do you do you bring in people who are pretty good? Uh, we, we, oh my goodness, we have a need. We need we, that, that there's a problem, and we need to throw somebody at that problem. That would be a non-essentialist approach to it. An essentialist would be would would hold the discomfort of not having somebody in that role hmm. and prioritize finding the right person. Hmm. So we might say the phrase uh, like hire slow, fire fast. Sure. But uh, what you're saying is really identify what you really need in that role and hold out until you find that person. Yes, I think that's right. And there's, there's lots of examples of, of essentialists that have done this. Um, but one that I love uh, is, um, uh, is uh, suddenly uh, the, the, the co-founders of Hexel, I think is the, is the company name. And... Uh, and when they interview people, they have a very particular approach to interviewing, which is that 
they feel that they know within three or four minutes of the interview whether it's the right person. But what we, and I think a lot of people do feel that, but typically they feel then obliged to still spend the next half hour, whatever they've allotted mm-hmm. to be with that person. And they don't do that. They literally just go after like three or four minutes, they're like, okay, thank you for coming in. And they just move on to the next person until they find someone that they feel is like a definite yes. Mm. And then they'll spend two or three hours with them. That's an example of what it would look like. Another example is uh, the, the managing director of Vitsu, which is he's such an interesting guy uh, because he, he started this. Vitsu um, only sells products that were designed by Dieter Rams, uh, who famously came up with the, the principle or stated it this way, less but better. That He used that as a design principle in products for 35 years when he was at Braun. Uh, he, he was always trying to strip away all the non-essential clutter on the product design themselves. Well, Vitsu doesn't just sell the products that have been so carefully designed by Dieter. They've also taken it into the culture of their organization. Hmm. So when I spoke to him, this was very early on while I was still writing Essentialism when I spoke to him for the first time, and I, I mentioned the term essentialist as being sort of a working word I would, I'd, I'd coin to try and express this way of leading he was like and he's not a presumptive guy at all but he, he said he said that's me he said i am an essentialist i have spent 35 years as an essentialist that's for real hmm. so when he started to describe the culture and the processes that he's followed inside of his business it was like really fascinating to me to see how far you could go with a single design principle less but better so when he came to hiring how do they hire well they have a whole process in place where they bring people in They'll have them work for a full day without, without like an employee contract. Just come and work with us for a day. I remember one example. They had this person come in, uh, worked with them the day that this was just putting up the shelving system. Hmm. Uh, I mean, sure. You want, so, they want to see how they, they want to see it. how he's doing. Yeah. Well, he, he was very competent all day long. He did all the things right. Everything is great. He's personable. At the end of the day, uh, he threw his tools in the bag. That's it. That's the day. They then have an internal process where they evaluate somebody before hiring them. So they're all discussing, you know, how was it? Well, it was great. We enjoyed him. He's nice. And, so, and then they came to this where he throw his, threw his tools in the bag. And, uh, and they're like, oh, really? Mm, that's interesting, isn't it? And they keep talking about this. And they're like, yeah, we just couldn't hire someone that would throw the tools in the bag like that. You know, uh, it's just not who we are. And they didn't hire that person. And somebody listening to this could say, well, that's just ridiculous. But it's not ridiculous for them because they have named who they are and who they aren't so precisely that they know who's going to be a fit. Hmm. They want people, and I don't mean like they're all, from a diversity point of view, it's not the same backgrounds and so on, but it's a cultural appreciation of a very particular way of deciding and working together. And, and, so, and so when they hire people, there's just they, they, these people stay forever. Mm-hmm. They they found their home. They know that they want to be there. They've learned other things like this, like like they know that the type of person who's going to thrive at Vitsu is someone who used to play with Legos as a child, like mm. obsessively with mm. Legos. They found so you ask them about predictor. Legos. In you the ask them about Legos, so, and so mm. on. So it's all so that's now you asked me about teams, and I've gone entirely about no, just I selecting think, I people. Think you but give a good framework there again, which is that you're basically saying, uh, really, it's essential to understand correctly who you are and who you are not and apply that to your hiring decisions um, and have a uh, go through basically an exercise as a team where you really distill down what that is before you make those investments. I think so because because if you don't, what happens is that 
is that you you actually set a lot of people up for failure. Yeah. And and so what sounds like a little harsh with them, I think is actually principled and in the long run really kind. Yeah. Firing people's <laughs> not fun and is hard on the culture. And uh, so yeah, getting your team to really stick and to be the right fit is Huge. Yes, because if you hire the wrong person, somebody that isn't a good fit, and then don't change it, that too is so harsh on the culture. Yeah, yeah. So you, you set yourself up for one of two problems. You either then have to hire, which, uh, fire, which of course isn't, doesn't feel good for anyone involved, or you keep someone on the team that everyone is then limited by. And, and the research behind this is pretty strong, that if you have someone who's, who's not a fit on the team and isn't working well on the team or is underperforming in some way, the, the, the rest of the team can actually not function, just cannot function at a, as a peak performance team. And so, and so when we think, oh, it's kind, keep them in there, give them a chance, keep going, keep going, we're actually limiting everybody involved. And That's so, very interesting. Yeah. Is there more that we can read on that somewhere? Yeah, the, it was Vital Smarts that did research specifically about this. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm running for, for vague memory now on exactly the details of it, but, but I seem to... I, I, yeah, I better not quote more than that numbers-wise because I, I, I may just be, be slightly off. But, but they definitely found that you just have to have that crucial conversation. Mm. You have to say, this person mm. isn't going to work. And you liberate the whole team. Well, Greg, given that you've probably been at this for a while, <laughs> and I'm sure that your listeners have a long attention span, but if they're entrepreneurs, they probably don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to just make a recommendation to you which is that you really consider how you take the, the book that you've written, distill it down to the ADHD version of the book, yeah, and give it, give it as, a, as a set of frameworks to entrepreneurs to use yeah. and see what the measurable impact on businesses is of the framework. Yeah, I like it. You, you, sort of, you can imagine a, um, a cards in your pocket kind of thing, uh, 52 cards. That's uh, a great uh, way to do it. Yeah. How to apply the essentialism framework to hiring? Yeah. How to apply it to, uh, you know, business model evaluation? How to apply it to your marketing strategy? Like, come up with interesting ways for somebody to really get this framework in their mind, mm. and then be able to measure potentially over time how it's affected their businesses. Yeah. Well, I love that suggestion. I'll take that seriously. It reminds me just uh, in, in, in wrapping this of um, of a, a company, a president of a company came to me fairly recently, just a little before COVID, uh, they, they run these worldwide tours for some of the biggest names in, in, in music. And, and they read Essentialism. They got their whole team to read Essentialism so that they could try and create a culture around it of decision-making. And what he found within a year, what they'd done is they reduced the number of tours that they did. Um, I, I think uh, they, they maybe cut those in half uh, and yet they still saw an increase of, I think, 4x revenue. So mm. they just, by being mm. way more selective about who they worked with and what tours they wanted to go big on, rather than just running in sort of all, following all good things, massively increased uh, the, the, the success of their venture. So I, we, your point is well taken. And maybe that's part of the, your journey. I know we won't have time now, but you know, you're looking at the next few years, five, 10 years, if you, to really create that movement, you have to have those types of tools in place to apply practical, you know, your practical application into business because I think that's where it's really difficult. I underestimated a lot of things with essentialism. I underestimated how much, 
how many tools and support and systems people would need to be able to to reconstruct their their lifestyle and their team culture and their organization and so on. In my head, I thought, once you understand the framework, you have it. Once you've got the concept, you can just start making decisions in a completely different way because, well, I think to be frank, uh, and to, to, to a point that you made earlier, that's how my mind works. So once the concept's clear, I can start applying it immediately. But what I've found is that that isn't how everybody else thinks. And mm -hmm. so they, and they're up against something I'm not up against, which is they're up against all the old systems and old culture and everything else they've got. Management, leaders. <laughs> Hierarchy, systems, all of it. And so, and so I, I, think, I think you're absolutely right. And I've sort of come probably slowly uh, to the point where I say, yeah, you, you've got to build more uh, in order to help people to be able to apply this on a consistent basis. That's why well, I did the podcast. I, I want to be That's the first person to get the deck of cards. Yes, okay. And I want, I'm going to put one of those cards in my pocket each day so that I focus on that particular element of the framework or that application. I like it. I like it. We're, we're, beginning, we're beginning a good, uh, a good moment here. Good. Cheers. We might not include this in the podcast, but Gregor, I, I like to put people on the spot. Will you... <laughs> Next year, um, maybe we, need, we should have a kill member that's offered somehow an intervention with you where you help them be a more Oh, we could do something cool ways. with a few. Something like, like that. 15 really high-powered founders and have a really cool conversation, I think. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, Especially that if you like want to test out your concepts. You, on some good founders. Well, I think that's fun. I mean, one of the things that was th 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 to be explored here, I was just talking to the production company on, on my podcast, and so we've had some interesting entrepreneurs on there who are interested in like ongoing partnerships where where you follow their journey. So we do an intervention and they come back later. And so there's there's, there's an exchange of value, an exchange, you know, there's a there's a deal mm -hmm. to be made. Yeah, uh, and, common and, theme in entrepreneurs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, but but there's I do think there's something there because most podcasts. Um, I mean, it's, it, the What's the Central podcast has done well. It, it, it's been about out five months. It's gone. I think it's top three percent globally now. So it's it's it's, mm -hmm. it's good. But I'm I'm actually a little nervous about a variety of things with it. And one of them is, I don't want to just go just to an advertising model if I could help it. Like it, that that sort of seems like it contradicts a lot of the points of podcasts. Mm -hmm. Is that you? But if you could find alternative business model with it, which I think there are a variety to explore, you could do something I think that that doesn't weaken the listening experience. It actually strengthens the listening experience, but still builds it into a into a workable business. So, so I, like I think there's I think there's something live there. consulting, some sort of live consulting, <laughs> some sort of intervention. Hmm. You could take a team through it, right, and they get to hear certain things. You can hmm. still edit it to make it safe for 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 you know. Uh, Companies. I mean, there's a company. So, for example, one of the companies we're talking to right now, uh, Red Essentialism, brought into the company, as and and then they turned it into a four-day work week. Hmm. That is what they. That is the, what good case came out of it. It is a fascinating case. The company's called Uncharted, and uh, Bank, uh, Banks uh, Benitez is the is the CEO there, and it's just an example of how far you can go once you start disconnecting number of hours worked. And results. Once you say, okay, yeah, that is a relationship, but that's not the only relationship to results. What if it was more selective people? What if it was how you work, how you decide, how you how you interact to make sure you're focused on the most important things? What if you could, suddenly suddenly you can you can scale much much better? 
because you're not limiting it only to well, you know, what's my, you know, what's the cost of labor, and I'm going to scale the, uh, I'm going to increase this much labor and increase this much investment, and, and then get the same, you know, x return. This 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 unlocks that and says no, that's not the point. The point is, can you become more selective together? Can you become wise together? Can you choose the right investments together? So anyway, I, I think uh, I think there is. Yeah, that's good. Well, I think you said yes, so that's good. <laughs> Cheers. Yes to the offer next year. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out with us. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Swell Podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast, sign up to our newsletter at theswellpod.com, and get in on the conversation through all major socials at The Swell Pod. We'll see you next time.